I just sort of look online and applied for a job at FIFA kind of on a whim and never thought I would hear anything about it. And then a few weeks later, they said, come for a, an in-person interview. So I was drawn because I didn't know how to get over to Zurich in a day or two without telling my work what was going on. So I, I actually looked went and looked. So I managed to take two days off work, tell, told them I was sick and timed the flight so that I left on like a Wednesday night, flew over, did the interview and was back by Sunday night to go to work on Monday. So that all went well and was offered this job a week or two later. And I thought this is great. Like I've always been a football fan, like working at FIFA in their commercial legal team would be fantastic. So I accepted the job, but unfortunately like it took about six months, but they, they wouldn't approve a visa for someone who was so junior in their career. G'day friends, on the show today is Tom Hickey, Director of Corporate Development and Commercial Legal Affairs at Brisbane 2032 Olympics. Tom has an incredible career journey, having worked as a corporate lawyer before leaving for the US with no job where he landed at the NFL of all places. This led him to the International Olympic Committee and then back home to Australia where he became employee number six for the Brisbane Olympic Games. You'll want to hear all about Tom's attitude to work and life that has left him with many incredible stories, plus we dive into what's happening at Brisbane 2032 with nine years to go. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the big rig, Ruben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia. Each week we learn how people made it in sports and we tease out some of their career decisions, their work habits, skills and everything they do that makes them great. Also, you can learn how to get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, how are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm terrific. Thank you. Uh, spent a long weekend in uh, Noosa Panita, of all places. So there's this little island next to, to Bali where I am at the moment called Noosa Panita where a couple of incredible beaches. All the photo, photos are spectacular, but you've got like heaps of tourists around there. Uh, we went down to one of the, the beaches off the top of one of the cliffs, which has got like the most dangerous surf I've ever seen in my entire life. And there were these two German freedivers who were bold enough to go and swim in the waves the entire time. I was like holding my breath, like, please do not die. I'm, I don't want mm. to see a couple of drownings happening here today. But um, having a good time, seeing a lot of um, a new part of Indonesia, which I've never been to before. So going well. No, fantastic to hear. And we are recording this just after the long weekend. Um, I, had a, I had a nice one as well. On Sunday, I was actually going to messages to you because it was just a bit of a life update really well not an update it's more just how good am I but on Sunday I had one of the most productive days I reckon I've ever had in my life I got up at 7 30 I was like this is fantastic long weekend took the dogs for a run went shopping I, I cooked a massive beef brisket for eight hours in the slow cooker uh, I went for a run it was it was fantastic it was something about the long weekend that uh that really got me out of bed um, so no, it's all it's all going well, and uh, went to the Vixens game uh, yesterday, which is fantastic, and got a bit of content. So we'll be able to share that in the in the coming weeks. But um, 
No, it's all good at HQ. It, it doesn't quite sound as good as uh, where you are right now, but um, no, it, it's good to hear we've both made the most of the long weekend, my friend. Um, let's get cracking because this is a, a big episode. We, we love Tom. We've, we've known him for a little bit now, so super excited to get cracking into this one. If you, if you don't already, follow us on LinkedIn. If you want to connect with us and hundreds of others who are working in the sports industry, become a member of the sports Grade community. Rube, speaking of uh, that community, it is absolutely firing at the minute and we've had some mega wins as of late. Yes, absolutely. Quick shout out to, uh, gosh, we can go all the way down the list if we want. Uh, let's start with Angus Yeats. Angus yeah. is uh, a guy from uh, Tasmania who's in, been in the community for over six months now, probably close to a year now. And uh, he's attended almost every single mm. webinar, almost every single speed networking session, often from Germany at 7 or 8 a.m. where he was living last year. <clears throat> and um, he's been pursuing a career in sport for a long time now, and he's finally got an amazing position as a grad management trainee at Adidas of all places. So he's going to be doing a 24-month program across four different departments with the last one being international where he could very well end up back in Germany at Adidas HQ. So well done to you, Angus. A couple of other amazing ones. Matty Ryan has just landed at the Richmond Football Club as a memberships officer where they've got over 100,000 members to to um, to work with. So well done to you, Matty. Uh, Josh Rowland, our friend over in Perth, has just received a role as competitions operations coordinator at the FIFA Women's World Cup. I think we're up to job number 25 or something stupid for the FIFA Women's World Cup. That's still going great. Yeah. Uh, and Fu Shuang has uh, just started a role as participation and marketing intern at Table Tennis Victoria. So well done to those guys in the community. Absolutely smashing it. We see those people regularly at our events, so that's no surprise to us. But if you want to get involved, head to the website, sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community. We've got speed networking coming up fairly regularly with a bunch of in-person meetups happening in Australia and overseas. So uh, head to the website to get involved. Brilliant. Some of those wins, uh, I like what you said there, is no surprise to us because some of those guys have just been working their butt off over the last few months, um, doing all the right things, coming along, meeting new people and uh it is absolutely no surprise to us that those roles are going to them. So congrats to those sports grad legends who are, who are doing great work. In the meantime, we've got Tom Hickey coming up. So uh, grab a pen and enjoy the show with Tom. With a new course, Deakin Business School is preparing graduates to capitalise on the golden opportunities in sports management. It's time to take charge of your career with the Executive Masters of Sports Management, a one-of-a-kind qualification which is designed as a more advanced version of Deakin's popular Master of Business in Sports Management, which is the number one ranked program of its kind in Australia. Delivered online via Deakin's Cloud Campus, the EMSB provides students with a focus on specific business knowledge, including areas of strategy, sports governance, leadership and fan engagement. Capitalise on the golden decade with a degree that will give you the skills you need. Tom, welcome to the Sports Grab podcast. Yes, thanks Ryan. Hi guys. Hi Ruben. Honoured to be here. HQ. It's exciting. Tom, this this might be the most important podcast of all time because to get you to come on the show, we had to get approval 
And due to the CEO being off on annual leave, we, this podcast had to be formally approved by the president of the Brisbane Olympic <laughs> Committee, which is absolutely outstanding. So you've gone straight to VIP status. Yeah, well, it's not me with the VIP status. It's definitely the president, Andrew Liveris. Um, we can talk more about him. He's a great operator, but he's um, he's been sort of the figurehead of the committee so far. We're obviously in our infancy, um, but it was good to be on here and get that all cleared and, you know, put that to get that under control and be ready to go. So looking forward to it. I reckon he would have secretly enjoyed doing a bit of comms work again. So um, I, I hope he enjoyed the experience. Well, maybe it's just a segue into getting him on the pod at some point down the line. Yeah. That would be good. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought so. Straight, straight to the top. We, we aim big on this podcast, which is why we've got you on. Uh, <laughs> but there's no, you know, there's no glass ceiling here. We're, we're happy to get the biggest and the best on here. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that is that is great. Um, mate, it's great to have you on. Um, we start all of our episodes with some quick fire questions, which I'm sure we may have briefed you on beforehand, <laughs> but uh, basically quick questions so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So I'll fire the first one off, and that is what was your first ever job? So first ever job, it's not sport related, but I was a like a dishwasher at a restaurant in Camberwell. Um, it's actually still there. I looked up today to make sure. So nice. Deco, which is just opposite the Rivley Cinemas. Um, I took it because I wanted to fund a cricket trip during school that they were going to the UK for a trip and so I had to pay my way. So I took that job and, yeah, funded the trip. So it was good. Nice. Amazing. And uh, what did you study at university? So when I first went to uni, I thought I studied Bachelor of Communications with a sort of major in journalism and I thought, like, how cool would it be to be a sports journalist? Basically, that was the plan coming out of school. Um, I guess I always had a passion for sport growing up, um, played footy and cricket, and once you sort of realise you aren't good enough or talented <laughs> to play yourself, um, try and write about it. But so I went through that degree and probably as I got towards the end, I thought I did a bit of work experience and thought maybe this isn't for me. So that led to some further study. I was only 20 when I finished that degree and I probably wasn't ready for the, the real world yet, so I went back to uni. Um, so after that studied, uh, did the Juris Doctor, which is a post-grad law degree at Melbourne Uni. Nice. We, we, all, we all come to that realisation, don't we? We're not, we're not quite going to play AFL, <laughs> yeah. probably not going to play for Australia. Let's do the next best thing and, and work in it. So no, that's, I can relate to that. It was funny. Um, so before coming on here, you know, did my research and I know you had Nat Cook on, who's a board member yeah. at Brisbane 2032. And I was listening to her episode and she, you might remember this, but halfway through she starts showing her gold medal yeah. and her other medals. And I was thinking, you know, the next Brisbane 2032 person on and I definitely don't have those yeah. to show. <laughs> Maybe an under 14 <laughs> participation award might be all I've got. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Canterbury Cobras participation trophy. Exactly. Exactly. She was, I think she was the first podcast guest to bring props in. <laughs> she, she bought the medals, she bought the sunnies. Did she bring a flag out at some point, Rubes, I seem to remember? Uh, yeah, she had the polo one as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we encourage props. We, we should have told you to bring those participation <laughs> Yeah, exactly. In. The mighty Cobras. <laughs> um, next one is, what, what's your favourite sporting moment? Yeah, so uh, we were talking before the show started about the footy and I'm a big Melbourne fan, so I'd have to say the 21 grand final, but it was such a weird experience for me. Obviously it was during the pandemic and it was moved to WA, but I was still in Switzerland at the time watching it in my apartment. It was like 10 a.m. 
and I just didn't know what to do. Like the game <laughs> ended and I went for a walk outside and, you know, people are just going about their daily life and no one cares. So yeah. it was like, it was awesome, but it was also, I don't know, you didn't get that sort of celebration with your friends or family that you might have otherwise got. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously still good to watch. And uh, what's your favourite interview question to ask of candidates? I think for me, I've always felt that I've wanted to work with people who like personal connection is important for me. I think you get to a certain level where basic ability to do the job is almost a given. So then it's more about personal connections. So it's, I don't know, questions about what a typical weekend might be like or a book they're reading, stuff like that to actually get to know the person um, rather than sort of getting too technical or too into the nitty gritty. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, what's a, a book or a podcast that you've you've read or listened to that's helped you at work? I'd listen to some sport-related ones. Like there's one unofficial partner, which is a good sport business sort of international one. It's based out of the UK. So they talk a lot about, uh, you know, the EPL, the IOC when I was working there would be referenced a lot. So that was a good one from a sport like work yeah. perspective. But then I also listen to a bunch of things which are not sport related necessarily um i'm a fan of the imperfects i don't know if you've seen their podcast yeah uh rich roll podcast as well and that that's an interesting one because it's about like a bunch of things but like endurance athletes doing crazy things and Mm. i don't know there's often skills that you'll take from those people about work ethic and resilience and things like that which can translate to your own job even if i'm not running you know crazy marathons or things (laughs) like that (laughs) Amazing. And you mentioned your participation awards. Are you associated with any grassroots sporting clubs still? Uh, not anymore, but being a new resident of Brisbane, it's something I want to look at. Um, yeah. So I moved up a few months ago as part of the new role and I think it's a good way to get into any community. So I'll be looking – I'm probably too old and injured now to play footy, but I'll be looking for some way to participate in something um, because that was – when I was in Melbourne and when I was younger, that was always a big part of my life and it's a great – not only is it fun and, you know, you get those benefits of playing sport, but it's a great community and it's a great yep. networking thing as well. So a big advocate for that generally. Nice. Uh, and last one, if you had 30 minutes to pick someone's brain, who would that be? Yeah, this is – I wanted to write about a thousand names when you asked <laughs> yeah. me this. Um, so I said two, which was one was – I mean, they're both sport, but one was kind of a work one, which I thought I said Gil McLaughlin for that one just because I think fascinating to really pick his brain with everything he's achieved yeah. at the AFL. Obviously, it's kind of the beacon in terms of sport in Australia um, and he's done a fantastic job for a long time. And the other one I wrote was Jurgen Klopp. Um, I'm a big Liverpool fan and so, mm. and not so much just because he's been successful, but it's more about... I think he has an amazing way which he connects with people and communities and is such a sort of enigmatic figure. So more about that sort of personal connection and how he develops that I think is pretty pretty fascinating. Fantastic. Well, Tom, let's dive into it because you've got one of the great stories and great resumes including the NFL, uh, the Olympic Committee and now the Brisbane Olympics. Uh, and I'm keen to dive into, you know, the point in time where you up and at everything to move to the US and go and chase your dream in sport. But before we get to that, you actually had a bit of a, a false start with uh, with FIFA, I believe. Can you explain where you worked in sport for a hot minute? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, false start's probably the apt word. So I 
So coming out of uni, I mentioned I went to Melbourne Uni and did the law degree. I worked at a law firm called Lander and Rogers and I like had no idea that really law and sport were things you could combine. I kind of just went into the law degree and um, there's a lot of smart people at Melbourne Uni, particularly in law, and they kind of just get pushed this path to go to law firms. So I almost by default went to that path and I ended up at a firm which by chance had a um, sport group and I just, as a graduate, you kind of do rotations and the first one I ended in was corporate which had the sport group and on my first day there I was working on the the Cronulla side of all of the Essendon doping scandal um, and suddenly I was like this is amazing like you're actual, actually able to combine sport and law and th- that sort of flicked a light bulb in my head which said this, this could be something I could do so I did that for a few years but then um, working in Melbourne I always saw oh, this there's got to be, you know, there's so much sport in the US and Europe. So I just sort of look online and applied for a job at FIFA kind of on a whim and never thought I would hear anything about it. They were looking for like a, a junior lawyer at the time. And they asked me to do a phone interview a few weeks later. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Like <laughs> I thought it was a scam email, like a phishing email at first. Uh, so I did that. Um, again, didn't think much of it. And then a few weeks later, they said come for a, an in-person interview. So I was drawn because I like didn't know how to get over to Zurich in a day or two without telling my work what was going on. So I, I actually looked, went and looked. So I managed to take two days off work, tell, told them I was sick and timed the flight so that I left on like a Wednesday night, flew over, did the interview and was back by Sunday night to go to work on Monday. Um, so that all went well and was offered this job a week or two later. And I thought this is great. Like I've always been a football fan like working at FIFA in their commercial legal team would be fantastic um so I accepted the job but unfortunately like it took about six months but they they wouldn't approve a visa for someone who was so junior in their career they had quite a high threshold for the test saying basically no one in Europe could do this job but because I was so junior they said surely FIFA can find someone in all of Europe to fill this role so Mm. they didn't approve the visa and that chance went away so it was a bit of a shame but that was um if I look at where I got to after that, that was probably the trigger point which thought working overseas is like a realistic option and some it is possible to work at these big sporting organisations. I think living in Australia, you, you almost think those places are so far removed. Like, you know, real people don't work at – it's like Google. Like who works at yeah. Google? It was that – I had that perception beforehand and that really changed things. Wow. <laughs> That's one of the great stories I could have ever heard on here. I should apologise as well. Um, my old boss, my boss at the time, she she wouldn't know as well. So if she listens to this, <laughs> Amelia, apologies. I saw her, I had coffee with her a few days ago. So I should apologise to her in person. That is unreal. Yeah, I wasn't sick. <laughs> yeah. That is outstanding. Um, and you mentioned Landers, Lander and Rogers. I believe that's where you met great friend of the show, Garth Towen from... Um, episode 18 he's still over in switzerland at the international olympic committee and he actually put us in touch with you when you were um working over at the nfl which we'll get to in a sec but um this is kind of two years in the making this podcast due to those (laughs) landers and rogers connections yeah i mean you guys are probably the networking kings now uh, with, (laughs) with your roles but he was probably in our world the original networking king um and yeah he was he, around the same time I went to the US was when he uh, did a similar trip to what I did to FIFA, except his with the IOC ended with him mm. getting a visa and him able to take that job. And he's still there. I'm actually sort of working with him now in my new role. So it's a good example, I think, of um, 
you know, people in your sort of world and contacts and networking and how you might work with people in future jobs and how sport's a small industry. Mm. You're, you're seeing Garth soon, awesome. Roops? I hear? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, uh, I hope the offer is still on the table, but he reached out to me saying that he's a uh, – He's got a spare ticket to day four of the Lord's Test match, so I quickly snapped that up, <laughs> and um, yeah, we were spending a Saturday at the cricket with Garth. So we'll be having that. But, having um, some pims. Back, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll be big on the pims <laughs> that day for sure. But um, back to you, Tom. Um, th- um, that story is amazing, and it's really kind of set a bit of a risk-taking theme to your career because after you got back and you went to Lands and Rogers, um, I believe you suddenly packed up and moved to the US. Can you explain why you did that move and where did that lead your career next? Yeah, so working at a law firm and like they were fantastic and they're very great at sort of developing careers for lawyers and they do a bunch of different types of legal services. But it got to a point where if you want to progress in that world, you have to start bringing in your own clients and kind of selling the business. And I was just never that interested in selling legal services as a concept i suppose like i would um i much it got to a point where i'd much prefer to work in something i was passionate about like a sport rather than being passionate about insurance litigation or something like that so that was kind of one triggering point i think and then from a work perspective i always felt when you put it like that it makes a lot of sense (laughs) don't don't disrespect to insurance lawyers we love insurance litigation (laughs) on the show but look we're probably choosing other things, aren't we? Um, and I also had a feeling at work that you could sort of draft as good a contract as you could, but you would send it off to a client and you wouldn't even know how that deal panned out. And so I really had a thought that if I was in-house, I'd be close to the action, I'd have more context, I'd know how, you know, what happened before the deal, how it went after, all of those kind of things. So that meant I sort of felt like, well, I've outgrown this law firm job I want to find an in-house role within sport and if I was going to leave I thought I may as well have a shot at doing it overseas and then if it doesn't work I can come back to Australia so that was kind of the thinking um and my partner was the same she doesn't work in sport but she had had a job for about the same time where she felt she might be time for a change so we yeah we packed up and off we went um had a bit of a holiday and then came to New York. It was the middle of winter and we, it was a weird thing where you open your laptop and we hardly knew anyone in the country and then you're like, all right, let's yep. get a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it all worked out well. Nice. And, wh- and what, was the, what was the next steps? You know, obviously NFL was there and can you tell us a little bit about how that, how that sort of transpired? Yeah. So I didn't know really anyone in the U.S., um, so I, the first thing I did was probably pay for LinkedIn premium and start searching. <laughs> Luckily, there's so many businesses in New York, obviously, but so much of sport is in that part mm. of the country as well. So I was just would spend my days searching online, trying to arrange to meet anyone from any major sport or any kind of business that I yeah. thought was amazing that Australia wouldn't have. So I was meeting people from like YouTube and Google and these places, but it was tough. I mean... I had a few like lunch t- dates organized, if you want to call them that, where that person wouldn't come. Um, oh. So it was pretty brutal. And America, is, they're very good at um, just putting themselves out there. And that probably wasn't natural to me at the time. So it was a bit of a, a challenge. But um, my job came from messaging someone on LinkedIn who agreed to have coffee with me. I eventually got in the door with a um, sort of temporary job. And then from there, progressed to a, a permanent job. But 
it was all very much right place, right time. I, I was fortunate that the two vice presidents that hired me that I worked mm. for, they one had just returned from Australia on a holiday and the other one, it was a weird connection, but she somehow, at the time Sav Rocker was punting for the Eagles and she was a huge Eagles fan. She was from Philadelphia yeah. and she knew like she'd worked with an Australian lawyer who was Sav Rocker's best man or best mate or something like that. And so on my first day, she was telling me stories. She's like, oh, I love Sav in her, in her American <laughs> accent, telling about how he was punting to her kids in her backyard. But anyway, so those random connections yeah. meant they were familiar with Australians and didn't think it was such a weird thing to hire me um, because everyone else there is American. It's like the most US-based organisation in the world. So it was very much a case of just sort yeah. of... I don't know, battering down the, yeah. the door and eventually finding a way in, I suppose. It, it kind of shows, though, like that that could have just been a, a random cold message, right? But it just showed the importance of the common ground piece. Exactly. Like you, you know, they happen to be in Australia the weeks prior, you're Australian. You're Australian, the favourite punter's Sav Rocker. Like if you can just find that little bit of common ground with someone, like that's what's going to get someone to respond to you. Like if you, you could have been anybody but it just happened to be that right time and you found that. So Exactly. Yeah. It comes back to what I was saying at the start about the interview questions and that personal connection as well. I think mm. like, I don't know, so much of the jobs that I've got have come from that, I think, rather yeah. than oh, like just applying online, for example. It essentially doesn't yeah. happen. So, yeah. Mm. Um, the reason why that person responded to you on LinkedIn, you, you said there was just a cold LinkedIn message. Was that literally just because of their love affair with Australia or ha how did you get their attention? Because we know a lot of people who get ghosted on LinkedIn all the time. So why, why do you think they responded to you? Uh, I don't know about that exact one, but I'd have to say like I got ghosted 90% of the time. So it's um, yeah. it was definitely a, an exercise in developing resilience and, I guess when you move to a new country and you like New York's an expensive place, so we sort of thought we've got to go pretty hard here and be, you know, put ourselves out there. So it was a matter of saying, hey, if I message 30 people, maybe three or four get back to me, then those are the three or four that I really pursue. Um, my attitude was always, and maybe it's the same with you finding people to come on your podcast or just networking generally, but if you, ask and people say, no, you're in the exact same position you're in now. So there's no sort of downside to asking. That was an important thing, I think, for me to just sort of get comfortable with putting yourself out there. Um, but yeah, Ruben, it wasn't as though everyone was getting back to me for sure. It's pretty brutal over there. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a really good note. Like a lot of people say to us, oh, you know, I want to meet people, but they just don't get back to me. And it's like, well, you just have to be okay with the fact that like you said, 90% won't, but you just got to take advantage of the ones that, that do get back to you. So that, that's a really good story. Um, in relation to working overseas, like this gets asked us a lot as well. It's like, how do I get a job overseas? And I guess, can you know how much of a difference it makes actually being on the ground, mm. getting that job as compared to just being in Australia and wanting to work in the US and applying for jobs from here? Like, does it make a huge difference being there. Yeah, fundamental. Yeah. Um, it changed the game. I remember talking to recruiters before and I mentioned we had a holiday before we went. So there was probably three months or so where I was doing a little bit of trying to find a job before mm -hmm. I'd arrived and you would just get nowhere because particularly in, I'll use New York as an example because that's where I went, but it's similar in most big cities. Like they've got so many people there that can just receive a message and be there in two hours. So if you're not mm -hmm. even in the country, 
they'll say, mate, just talk to me when you're here. So I found a lot of people, and this was one of big advice, just not necessarily just in sport, but a lot of people would ask us, oh, how's the best way to move to New York? I'd always like to live in the US. And I saw a lot of people actually take a holiday, go to the US and, you know, they're traveling and having fun, but also just tee up five or 10 meetings or coffees mm-hmm. when you're there so that you've met these people and then go back and you might be able to then, you know, you've got that connection. So yeah. it's very difficult to do it without being on the ground, I think. So you don't necessarily have to commit and quit your job like I did, but if you go there and sort of do a reconnaissance trip, make some connections, that's mm-hmm. going to make that further step much easier. Mm-hmm. And it also just shows like how committed you are as well. Like it's a kind of signal of who you are as a person. Like I reckon those people at FIFA would have looked at you and said, gosh, this guy's willing to, you know, take off from Australia at the, you know, drop of a hat to come and be here in Switzerland, even if it's only for a couple of days. Like that sends a massive message to an employer as well. Well, it was part of the reason I was surprised when I got that interview at FIFA was because for the same thing, like you're on the other side of the world. I'm sure they mm. couldn't find people uh, in Europe that could do the job. So, but it, you're right. I think if you can, if you've shown an, an interest and willingness to give up your own, your one holiday for the year and spend the money to go to these places, that shows people that you're real and you actually want to be there. Mm. Um, and sport being the way it is, like it's so much about relationships and networking um, so meeting people, being on site at those things is, is critical. So you worked at the NFL for how many years and then how did you then transition to the IOC? Yeah, so we, I was there for about three years. Um, we probably would have stayed longer if it wasn't for the pandemic, to be honest. Um, it was it just a sort of we had some issues with my, my wife's kind of work and they were she was in a small business which was a lot more uncertain with COVID and furloughs mm. and all of that but my work was going great like we and we loved New York it was a great place to live and career-wise was great so we probably would have stayed longer ideally um but in that year you know obviously things were pretty turbulent so we weren't sure what we were doing and that's when actually Garth who you mentioned before reached out and said we're, we're, we're going to start looking for people at the IOC would you be interested and things were we kind of for personal reasons, it was a lot more stable option than the US at the time. So we kind of pursued that. It all happened rather quickly. It wasn't planned. It was, I th- we always sort of thought, let's do the US and then we'll come back to Australia whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having the opportunity to work at the NFL and then go to the IOC, they're both two of the biggest sporting organizations in the world, but they're very different. The NFL, yeah. obviously very commercial. If you watch a game, there's just brands and logos everywhere, whereas the IOC is kind of... Well, they've got clean venue and it's more about, um, let's say, like excellence and integrity and saving the world through sport yeah. is kind of their yep. approach. So it was, I thought it would be great to have both. Um, so, yeah, so we jumped at the opportunity and it was funny because it was going full circle back to Switzerland after, you know, seven years or so later after that FIFA issue. So, mm. um, yeah, funny how things happened, but that was the plan. It really wasn't a sort of long career aim it was just sort of right place right time um which worked out well yeah and what was the what was the role that you you went into there yeah sorry so the nfl role going back to what i was saying about the law firm just Mm. feeling like that was sort of 
far removed from the actual business of the sport. Um, the NFL role was one job further because I was in the business. I was commercial counsel, so doing working on contracts for the Super Bowl, the draft, um, Pro Bowl, like all the major international games for the NFL, which was fantastic. Um, and then, but it was still a legal role in the legal team, whereas the IOC. Uh, role was within the commercial team itself, but they had their own sort of legal function in there, which is where I was. So working with the IOC's global sponsors, which are called top partners, and then working, advising each future organising committee on their sort of commercial work. So they have their own sponsors, they sell tickets, they sell merchandise, so advising them on how that works. So it was kind of more of a commercial role, which was, again, one step closer into sort of being, I guess, in the driving seat, if that makes sense, Um, which was where I thought was the interesting part of the work rather than the legal work. And that was where I wanted to get to eventually. So each step kind of got me closer to that that seat I'm in now, which is very much more a commercial role than a legal one. When you were speaking to the people at the IOC, was it when you explained that you had to do the supplier agreement for Snoop Dogg that got you over the line and into the job? I don't know if Snoop's as big in Switzerland. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the NFL was amazing in terms of expose. I went from working on deals with sort of Australian sporting organisations here and then suddenly working, you know, doing a contract for a Snoop Dogg appearance, like you said, or um, I worked on, when I was there, it was the NFL's 100th year and they had this they had this ad which featured like the 100 best players of all time in the NFL. And I remember doing all the contracts with those talent to get them all. And once, you know, it says Tom Brady and all these kind of guys. And I'm thinking this is so far from Australia. So it was a really good exposure to how sophisticated they are. And they're like worked on some of their biggest sponsorship deals, all of that kind of part of the work. And that was definitely um, helpful in the IOC interviews for sure. Jeez, contracts for Snoop Dogg. Was that was that, that um one with like fifty cent that the the halftime show? Was that what talking about it? No. Or was it I can't remember that? what it was. It was a bit, bit before. Um Wow. Yeah, but they're amazing. I mean the people You'd probably get him back every year, why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the people so Rachel, who was the, the Savrocker connection, um, she's still there and she has what I think has got to be the coolest job. Like she does all the halftime show talent. She Every year she has photos with Rihanna or these kind of people. Yeah. So um, It's not bad, is yeah. it? So I got a little bit of it, but she's right in there doing all of that. So, yeah, she does well. Nice. Yeah. Did, awesome. Did you make it to a Super Bowl? No. So that was kind of my one regret. I was on the list to go to the one um, before COVID. So that was the one I missed. And then the first... The ones before, I just, like, I didn't have a work reason to justify it, unfortunately, as the, the legal team probably sends less people than the, the commercial team. Maybe that's part of the reason I've now jumped to the commercial yeah. side. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I went. To, I worked a lot in the Miami Super Bowl, which must have been 2019, and I, so yeah. I was there a lot in the lead-up doing various things, but not at the actual game. I was at Pro Bowl, which was the week before, which is, like, their all-star game. Went to a bunch of other playoff games and other Nice. Um, yeah, games all over the country. So I did well out of it. Unreal. Oh, it's so cool. NFL sounds like a, just an incredible organisation to be part of. Um, so NFL, IOC, and then obviously you've you'd made your back, made your way back to uh, to now Brisbane twenty thirty two. How did that all transpire between IOC and and Brisbane? Similar to the IOC 
change where that wasn't by design. It was the same for Brisbane 2032. Mm. I think so me and my wife, well, partner at the time, wife now, got to a point where we thought we'd been away for around six years, I think, by the end. Um, and we got to a point where we wanted to come back to Australia. That was always the goal um, was mm. just to have this period where it was, you know, great personal experience to work overseas and um, professionally as well. But always the plan was to come back. So we decided to do that and at the same time, like I knew Brisbane 2032 was in the running and then it got awarded the games, but I didn't think, like I still thought it's 10 years away. Well, it was at the time, like they're not going to be starting for a little while. So I didn't, it wasn't planned to be honest, um, but it was right timing. Like I was, as I was sort of leaving Switzerland, getting ready to come back to Australia, that's when people started reaching out to me about the job. We appointed or started appointing our board kind of, April, May-ish, 2022, I think. Don't quote me, but around mm -hmm. then. And then um, later in 2022 was when they started hiring people and that was kind of just happened to be the right time. And I was obviously, um, if you're starting an organising committee to deliver the games, it probably makes sense to look at if there's any people who have that ISC experience because it's such a unique kind of ecosystem. So, yeah, again, it was... Um, it, it was just one job leading to another without grand plans, I think, but it shows the value of, um, yeah, connections and networking because there are a lot of people when I went through this interview process, um, for example, John Coates, I spoke to him as part of the process and he is the chair of the legal commission at the IOC, so he would pick up the phone and ring the legal people at the IOC and say, what's Tom like? So it's yeah. all very interconnected. Um and yeah, I mean, it's a sort of once in a generation opportunity. So as yeah. soon as people reached out to me, I was super keen to try and make it work. Um, even though it meant like, you know, we, we told our family we're coming back to Melbourne yeah. and a few months yeah. later, we're going back up to Brisbane. So yeah. it's much closer than Lausanne anyway. So it's yeah. not too bad. It's only two hours exactly. down, so it's not too bad. It's still in the right country. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> mm. All right. Any, any, person would be very happy to land at any one of those three major organizations that you've um, landed at. Um, to get on this role though, you've like taken a whole bunch of different risks and different circumstances have come up. Is there any one particular sliding doors moment that you put your incredible career journey down to or, or do you have a favorite one? Because there, there seem to be a lot. Uh, definitely the, the New York um, move generally was like a huge accelerator for me professionally. Um, just really, I mean, they're at the cutting edge of sport generally. So it was a great sort of exposure. And then once you get your foot at the, in the door of one of those organisations, it kind of helps make the move much easier for the next one. So again, I put it back to sort of that, that willingness to go there and then just start messaging people and sort of networking to find a job. I think um, I was thinking about this earlier and there's there's obviously never... Like some people I'm sure want to move, but it's very difficult to have everything lined up and have a perfect time for it to happen. Whereas we just sort of bit the bullet and off we went and it might not have been the perfect time, but there's never a perfect time. So I think that was the one for us. It was really, and we had even putting work to one side, it was an amazing experience personally as well. So it's something that I'm a big advocate for. And that was definitely the, the sliding doors moment for us. Yeah. Sounds like you, you're kind of thinking, what, what's the worst that can happen here? Yeah, like, worst case scenario, I've wasted, you know, a bit of cash getting over there. I can come back. I can probably find something here. And I think that's what a lot of people should have the like that people should have that attitude. It's like 
the worst thing that can possibly happen is you, you you lose a bit of cash and you come back and do what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. So, I think we that was our perspective. It was like, oh, if it doesn't work out, it'll be an extended holiday. As you said, you'll spend a bit of money, but it'll yep. be still be a memorable experience. Yeah. Um, but so much of my development was from putting yourself a bit out of your comfort zone and like just going up to like I went to so many events where I didn't know anyone and just walking to into these rooms trying to talk to people and that's still not something I'm amazing at but you definitely mm. you only learn through getting exposure to it so yeah it's all part of just I don't know for me it was a big growth journey I think yeah yeah Ooh. I know and um when we we're at the start of our journey with sports grad and this was back in 2020 and trying to think about um, what to do next because I just lost my job, sports grad, had just started as a podcast but wasn't anywhere near financially sustainable. And um, a good friend of ours, Simon Osborne, who's a, a senior figure of ours who offers some, some great advice, he, um, he sent through an article about these Olympic athletes who were interviewed on Oprah. And all four of these athletes had missed out for qualifying for the Olympics and they given their entire lives and spent a whole lot of money investing in training to try and make the Olympics, and they they failed. Mm. And uh, Oprah asked them on the show, like, was it worth it? Like, do you regret coming this far to then fail? And they, every single one of them said, I wouldn't trade in the experience of trying to make the Olympics for anything in the world. And that kind of showed me that, you know what, even if this does fail, the experience is still going to teach me a whole lot that's going to be worthwhile so that's when taking a risk became a, a win-win and it sounds like you've had the same mentality yeah absolutely i think that's right and i don't know looking back on it now australians have a good reputation i think in the sport industry like we're quite good at events generally and there's so many people at these organizations in different parts of the world that are australian so mm. just because we're far away i think it, it can be seen as a risk but i think maybe like your chances are good if you just get on the ground and try and meet people and, and go for it. So um, I don't know. It's partly taking that risk but also having the confidence that like whatever your sort of role in sport is, like Australians are generally pretty good at it as well so you can have confidence in your ability. Yeah. Oh, it's good to know. Um, let's let's change lanes slightly to uh, to the now, Brisbane 2032. Um what does the organisation look like right now and what is the plan to sort of build that headcount over the next nine or so years? Yeah, so as I said before, I listened to Nat Cook's episode and she gave a really good overview of the 22-person board that we have. Yeah. Um, so that's more than the number of employees we have. I think I was employee number six. I started wow. about six months ago and we're up to 14, I think, now. We've got one starting on Monday. Um so it's a very lean team. We kind of have one or two people in each area that you would think for an organisation, like a legal, a yeah. finance. We have a CEO, Cindy Hook, who started about three months ago. She um, was the former CEO of Deloitte Australia and APAC. Um, so she's on the ground, but it's very much a lean team for a few years. We're still nine years out, obviously, which is earlier than games have been awarded to cities historically. So for us, it's about really thinking strategically. There's this tension um, between wanting to do things because we've been awarded the games and we're in place, but then you don't want to do things just for the sake of it. You want to make sure they're the right decisions. You don't want to start spending money too early if it's not mm. not necessary just yet. Um, so we're doing a lot of strategic work, trying to make sure that 
um, the plans are in place and they're right and then the kind of big ramp up will happen but but not for a few years. Like you see these organisations um, when they're sort of at the time of actually delivering their games, they can be in the thousands and look, we'll grow. We'll grow to something big at, at that point in 2032 but for a few years we'll definitely try and stay lean um, and just sort of get the preparations right if that makes sense. Yeah. Would you speak to, well, obviously you would, but other games and how they operated to essentially work out what that runway looks like for nine years? Because I suppose, like you said there, like you don't want to spend money too early. I, I can imagine you're like, how soon do we start promoting it? Like how soon do we need things built? And I'm sure you'd lean on other people who have just done the same thing in other countries, right? Yeah, for sure. So we, t- we talk quite a bit to LA and they're really helpful um, with sharing information, sharing their experiences. So yeah. that's great. Um, and I having worked at the IOC before, I kind of had that insight into how Paris were doing things. I arrived about a year or so before Tokyo Games because of the postponement. Um, So I saw them in Beijing and I worked a lot with Milano Cortina, who were the 26 Winter Games when I was at the IOC. So we have that kind of insight and we talk a lot to Paris now, as I said, LA. So um, it definitely is helpful, but it's funny because there's only... In terms of summer games, there's only two examples we get before our games. So you don't yeah. it's not like I guess a normal business where you can look around and find <laughs> a bunch of equivalents. There's yeah. only two. Um, but they are very helpful. And LA has a similar long runway as well. They're the, they were the first yeah. one to have that the long period that we did. So it's really we have a lot of discussions with them about what we are doing. Yeah. They did some things which they said, well, we maybe wouldn't do that again. Um, so that's really helpful. You mentioned not spending money too early. How does an Olympic Games get funded? Like what are the different sources of, of revenue at, at this point in time when you haven't sold a ticket? Yeah, so that's my my role now is my first role where it's I still have a legal element to it, but the focus and the majority of my work is very much in the commercial space. So our, organ- our bid for the Games was on the premise that it would be cost neutral and we would fund ourselves. So we get a bunch of money through the IOC, through various, like there's a broadcast sort of bucket of money which we get from them, but then there's a lot of money that we have to raise ourselves and there's four ways we can do that. Sponsorship, uh, licensed products, I mentioned merchandise before, and then tickets and hospitality, Ruben. So we're doing, and that's my job now, is to sort of make our strategies and plans for how we make that money. Um, we have some pretty aggressive revenue targets, so it's it's an interesting job. Um, but we can't actually start going to market and doing those deals right yet. There's a lot of initial work we have to do with the IOC about mm-hmm. um, the structure of how that works. They have global, without getting too technical, they have Olympic global partners like Coke and Visa, sort of big global brands. And we have, or we will have domestic partners which have to be consistent with those. So we couldn't do yeah. a deal with Pepsi, for example. So there's a lot of rules that have to be set in place. Um, and yeah, we'll build our strategies and then eventually start going into corporate Australia trying to trying to secure that money, which will be interesting. Has anyone started thinking about the merchandising yet? Because I see a lot of people wearing all these old op shop uh, Sydney 2000 volunteer shirts that look very trendy. I reckon <laughs> there's a, a retro um, label in the Olympics somewhere. Oh, we should definitely look at that. I think... Um, <laughs> I have so many friends now and whenever they have a brand they like, they're like, oh, you should do a deal with this brand or this brand. So, yeah, it's on my radar. I don't know, Ruben, maybe if you have time you can help me with some 
some apparel ideas. Get I'll some be happy to. Big, big merch guy. Yeah. Lo- loves merch. So, yeah. But it's almost the number one question I get asked is how can I get a polo shirt or a hat? Um, <laughs> you know, can you do a deal with X brand or yeah. something like that? So stay tuned. We'll get there. We, um, we're working on our brand and our emblem at the moment, which is a fun project. Um, everyone, I think the Sydney 2001 is one that I remember. Yeah. It's pretty iconic. So it's fun to be at the sort of behind the scenes working on that. But once we have that emblem and it goes live, then yeah, we'll look to start ramping up our merch, maybe get some retro jackets in there. Yeah, nice. Yeah, absolutely. I know when we were at Cricket Australia, the uh, the retro kit campaign was, oh. a, was a huge success, which led to like the, the star jersey coming back. Um, and even just like people just love seeing content on Instagram of people wearing like a, a Queensland Bulls like 1990s shirt, like that, that sort of mm. stuff really hit home. But um, w- with the branding stuff, does that come with picking the mascots for the Olympics as well? Like are you going to be choosing the next Sid Million and uh, Ollie? It is Ollie, yes. Um, yeah, so that will be part of that project. It comes at a later stage, the mascot, but it is still something that will develop at some point. Um, there's so much research which goes into the brand itself, so I can only imagine the mascot will be similar. Um, but, yeah, there's, it's a big act to follow, Sid Millie and Ollie. Everyone remembers it. It's pretty iconic. So, yeah. Um, and I think the mascot's kind of one of those things that everyone remembers from the game. So, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely a big piece of work. This is like the point of the podcast where we just pepper questions about the Olympics. So I might just ask one: Is is the Gabba gonna? Is that gonna go ahead? We're gonna redevelop the Gabba. Like, is that that's all happening? If you uh, can say, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, fortunately, it's not my. It's not my decision, but it's yeah. not my uh, sphere of responsibility. But right, according yeah. to what what you see in the paper, it will. Um, I think there's still a lot of like plans to be finalized if that makes sense but but yeah that's that's the latest i know so yeah awesome looking forward to getting there when it's done Um, sounds like just incredible role where you can essentially like you're building a commercial program for an olympic games i can like you said you got mates going you know get nike on the shirt or whatever brand they want like that that must be pretty fun where you can kind of be creative at the same time you're not just kind of following a, a rule book, you know. Yeah, and we want to be creative as well. Um, the last thing we want to do is sort of copy and paste other games and what they've done, notwithstanding they've probably done great things. Mm. But um, I was comparing it to, like, say if I took a job at, say, you mentioned Cricket Australia before, and if you take a job at those organisations, which you would arrive and everything would be in place, yeah. whereas we arrive and it's literally a blank page. Yeah. So it's a really interesting experience, but it's a great, like... To be able to shape that and have influence on it is really exciting. Um, I mentioned our strategy before that we're developing, but after that we'll go into sort of the real creative phase where it's all about coming up with awesome ways that, um, you know, sponsors can be part of the games. Like we want to use new tech, we want to be really creative um, and just make it a great experience for fans, for athletes. So it's pretty exciting to be right sort of behind the scenes developing that for sure. Yeah, that's super cool. So is a lot of your time at the moment just in um, in meetings with, you know, potential vendors or, you know, workshops, thinking about strategy as opposed to like putting, you know, bricks in place? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just sort of talking to talk, – I'm almost re-networking, I think, um, and that's part of just being new back into Australia, but talking to people from other sports about how they would approach this, talking to smart industry people a lot, um, really trying to get – my favourite question is, if you were in my job, who would you call? Um, and getting different sort of 
views on yeah. that, um, which is really fun because you get to meet all these really smart people in the sporting industry in Australia. Um, and yeah, it's just sort of a, there's a lot of blue sky thinking like, oh, could we do this? Um, I've done so many flow charts of like timelines and they keep always changing and yeah. our plans will be tweaked a little bit. But it, yeah, you're right, Ruben. It's very much um, sitting down and thinking rather than I guess just banging out contracts or having more of a defined job, which I probably used to in the past. Yeah. No, that's awesome. awesome. I'd imagine you're not getting ghosted as much anymore now that you've got Olympics to your title rather than unemployed and, and on holiday. <laughs> it's probably a better sell, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but I mean, <laughs> there's so much enthusiasm for the Olympics as well in Brisbane. It's amazing. So everyone wants to talk about it wherever yeah. you go. Everyone wants to be involved. So... Yeah, it's definitely probably probably easier to get a coffee um, meeting than seven years ago. But yeah, it's good. <laughs> I love I love the term re networking. I reckon we can use that, Rubes. Mm. <laughs> I reckon that's great. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, has do you find your journalism degree has helped sort of that legal nature of the stuff you do? I think so to a degree. I think it's almost. Like I wouldn't think automatically about it, but I'm sure it has. Like that degree was all about communicating as clearly and efficiently as possible. Yeah. Which is obviously important for so many jobs. And um, it lended itself well to the, the legal studies, obviously, because that's so much about writing and communication. But so much of my job is planning and thinking and being really concise with ideas. So I'm sure it had, even if I don't realise it, I'm sure it was beneficial. Um and yeah, I, I mean, you know, I met some really good people in that space who have gone into great things in journalism. So it was really good from that um, perspective as well. But yeah. it's um, yeah, it's a funny one. I don't automatically realise it helps, but I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah, cool, amazing, Tom. This has been such a amazing chat in terms of hearing about your story and everything that's going on in the Brisbane Olympics. But um, one final question for you: um, What's one piece of advice you would give to yourself when you were staring down the barrel of this life-changing decision on whether or not you should quit your job and uh, move to the US? I think it's, Ryan, what you were saying before about, you know, the worst thing can happen is it doesn't work and you have that experience and you can come back. Um, for me, I mean, if I was advising anyone who's evaluating whether to do that or not, I would definitely encourage it for those reasons. I think Australian sport as I said before, has a great reputation. But having worked in Europe and US now, you kind of see how big the opportunities are there. And I think my advice would be go for it. But also I just had this impression before I left, I had this impression that everyone worked there was just like it was unattainable and they were like superhumans, like no way could normal people work there. But then once you're on the inside, you you sort of realise, oh, yeah, they, they might have gone to a a fancier college in the US or something, but they're still normal people doing jobs. And this is how, you know, these are the chances or opportunities that they've had because of where they grew up. So mm. there's, there's not, there's no magic to them. Like you should, you can have confidence and be part of these places. So I would just, yeah, if I had one message, it's I encourage people to do it because you get out of your comfort zone, you learn more and it's, yeah, something I'm very happy I did. Yeah. Brilliant. Before we wrap up, Rubes, any uh, episodes similar to, to Tom that you can recommend listeners? 
Yeah, well, I reckon uh, if you enjoyed listening to Tom, you definitely enjoy listening to uh, Garth Town, who got mentioned, friend of the show, friend of Tom. He was episode 18, over 200 episodes ago. Uh, he was dialing in from the International Olympic Committee that day. So uh, if you're into sports law, um, he's got a great story as well. Uh, otherwise, um, Aubrey Walton is another one from the, uh, the NFL uh, who we've chatted to as well. Uh, she is in episode 63. So she's got a fascinating job if you want to learn more about one of the biggest organisations going around. And Nat Cook, maybe, if you want to hear more about the Olympics and if you want to see a, a gold medal, <laughs> um, feel free to, yes. to look at that one as well. Tom, it's been great having you in, mate. Really appreciate it. Hearing your journey and, you know, some of the organisations you've worked with, people people will only dream of. Um, so it's just great to hear that journey and some of those sliding door moments that you've you've mentioned. Hopefully that gives a few people out there the, the motivation to make that jump and, and hopefully, you know, find those jobs at organisations that they're, they're dreaming of. So I really appreciate you coming in, mate, and uh, looking forward to chatting again before Brisbane 2032, I'm sure. We've got nine years to do it, yeah. so I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we'll be back. Awesome. It's great to have you. Thanks, guys. And um, I'm looking forward to that merchandise contract and side to the project. <laughs> I said we want to be creative, so bring your yeah. ideas. Um, shoot it through and uh, I'm sure Roots can, can work something out for you. Awesome. No, thanks very much for having me. It's been awesome. <laughs> Guys, it's time now for the People's Segment, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question first, just become a Sports Grad member at our website, sportsgrad.com.au slash community, then add your question to the channel named Ask Sports Grad. Rooms, 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 that's a different one. Rubes, this one comes from Nicole. Uh, she says, my dream is to work at on the Brisbane Olympics in 2032. Hypothetically, what would you do to ensure you had a good chance of getting a job? Mm. Great question, Nicole. We've had a lot of people who have said that their goal is to work on the Olympics in the future, but not many who have actually thought about a nine or 10 year roadmap to making sure that it's more than just a chance. It's highly probable. So great question. Um, here's exactly what I would do. Um, we, if this could probably be an entire podcast episode, if I wanted to lay out the entire nine year roadmap of yeah. what to do step by step, <laughs> but I think it, yeah. build the nine year roadmap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, Sam Hickson, fellow sports ground member is, uh, a great example of this. If you ever bump into Sam, ask him about his nine year roadmap to the Brisbane Olympics. Cause, um, he's a very switched on guy who knows what he wants to do to get there. But the first thing that I would do to try and get a job at the Brisbane Olympics is use the time that you've got now to figure out what exactly you want to do. Is it events? Is it commercial? Is it social media? Is it something else? I would figure out what is the, the particular vertical that you want to position yourself in so that over the next eight years after you figure that out, you can start building up some really meaningful experience in that space. The next thing that's going to keep you in good stead for the, say, eight years running into Brisbane, and let's say you take a year just to figure yourself out and lay the groundwork before going ahead and, and getting your, your hands dirty. The other thing you want to do is practice how you sell your experience. So when people ask you, what are you up to at the moment or what have you worked on, 
you can tell a compelling story like you've just heard Tom do. You can tell a compelling story around your experience, share some really tangible results and present it in a way that's easy for people to understand so they can picture you in the role that they want you to fill. So if you can figure out what your career direction is and you can figure out how you want to sell your experience in a really meaningful way, then you want to start getting out there and start networking with people in major events. The reason why you want to focus on people in major events is because it is a bit of a roundabout. People just go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. We know a lot of people who have worked on the T20 World Cup, who have gone to the Australian Grand Prix, who have gone to the FIFA Women's World Cup, who have gone to the Commonwealth Games. And so once you get on that ride, it's hard to get off. So start networking with people at the FIFA Women's World Cup. You start reaching out to people who are running the Commonwealth Games. Even go back and talk to people who have worked on the T20 World Cup. And then as the team at the Brisbane 2032 Olympics starts to grow out, Tom mentioned they're only at 16 at the moment, then start to network your way into there because those people who are starting at the other events are probably going to end up on the Brisbane event as well. And then finally, get prepared to move to Brisbane. So probably around 20, 28, 29, (laughs) you know, three, four years out from the games, that's when you probably want to be on the ground and start to really cement yourself um, in the city. As Tom said, when he moved to New York, it's a whole lot easier getting a job in that location when you're actually on the ground. It shows people you're serious about um, making a mark here. So that's how I would go about the next nine years of getting a job at the Brisbane Olympics. Love it. That That is a genuine podcast episode, I reckon, going through those those sort of four steps you, you've gone through there. But I, I love what you said about the, the first bit, like – a lot of people would be thinking, you know, I want to work at the Olympics, but they don't know where yet. So, you know, you've got nine years until it's happening, but really you've probably got six until you probably want to be on the ground there, like you said. So use the next sort of few years to just figure it out and, and what, what part of the Olympics you think that you would fit um, because it's, it's all good and well wanting to work at it, but, um, you know, you need to be direct and, and, and kind of know exactly where you fit. So um, that's brilliant, mate. Thank you. Um, all righty, great episode. Uh, if you'd like to ask us any questions at all or ask our friends in sport a question, sign up and become a Sportscrap member. Each week we jump on virtual events, we jump on sort of industry sessions, webinars, and job, job fairs are coming up as well, Rubes, a few of them planned, and also our meetups as well. So it really does pay to be a member all of those sessions as well are recorded. So when you do become a member, you get over 50 hours of exclusive content ready for you to consume. So um, jump in and, and get involved. If you haven't already, find us on LinkedIn and give us some love with a rating. If you enjoy the show, subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the Sportsgrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.